0: Hello, today is April the 28th. This is Mike Dominic on The Mike Dominic Show. I don't know who you were expecting, but uh, the title should have given that away. Today is a little unusual. We have two guests, Harris, Kenny, and uh, Sean Emel. This is a different conversation than maybe we've done before. It's more business development and marketing oriented. I'm stalling on that description because there's actually a lot here. We do go into a few technical things, but... You know, there's a lot that I think particularly us tech folks don't understand about, you know, how do you like develop a marketing funnel, right? How do you start a biz dev campaign? How do you, you know, sell the cool things that you're building, right? You know, it's one thing to write an awesome application or hell, I don't know, some of you might be working on like drones or robots or whatever, but if it never leaves your
1: basement,
0: well, that's pretty bad. So Sean and Harris have a lot of good input on that. There's going to be links in the show notes about some of the projects they're working on, uh, some of the things they're doing independently, and uh, some of the things they've done in terms of uh, strategies or some resources, things like that. I would encourage you to listen to it. I know that there's a... It's a bit longer than usual, I would say, because obviously we had two people instead of one. So... Do let me know what you think of the format uh, in terms of length. I know some people like it longer, some people like it shorter. I'd like to hear. Also let me know if any other topics you'd like covered. As always, the show is brought to you by the Mad Botter Inc., my consulting company. We do lots of development for all kinds of stuff. If you need something developed, please let us know at sales at the You can follow the show at the uh, on Twitter, which is going to be the show notes. Follow me at Dumanuco. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, here are the guys. Hello, Harris and Sean. How, how did two people get on here? This has never happened before. <laughs>
1: we
0: snuck in the back. We
2: did. I think Harris and I come as a uh, package deal. That's what's happening.
0: It's kind of like the Mario Brothers, right?
2: Exactly. Which one of us is uh,
0: taller? That that one gets to be Luigi. Hey, Luigi can jump and float really far. Oh, so, no,
2: I'm not knocking Luigi. He was my yeah. favorite Mario Brothers too.
0: That's right. So let's take it in order then. So uh, Sean Hemel, you... Do lots of stuff that involves breadboards. What? Who are you? So I got my start
2: as a computer engineer. So that's you know the combination of software and hardware. So I kind of do a little bit of both. You know, did some corporate jobs working here and there. And then I, I landed a position at Spark Fun, initially as an engineer, which allowed me to create both boards for sale and along with that, writing firmware that you know was libraries for whether it's Raspberry Pi or Arduino. And then about a year and a half into that, I was asked to move to marketing because I enjoyed writing blog posts and doing videos so much. And I really fell into this groove of, you know what, I really enjoy this front-facing thing, kind of being the, you know, one of the voices of SparkFun, teaching people how to do hardware and software together. And my big thing is doing embedded systems. So I love working with Arduino and a lot of the underlying chips that go along with that. So like your AVRs, your PICs, you know, my new thing now is the STM32s and writing firmware and doing fun things with there at a very, very low level, like flipping bits. So, you know, uh, like a lot of the IT networking thing or the internet, you know, HTML, CSS, that's all beyond me. Like I can, you know, I can make just enough to make IT angry at me. That's about as much as I know there, but flipping bits nice. I enjoy and the marketing stuff. So, and I'll let Harris talk about that. But I met Harris when we were at SparkFun.
1: Okay.
0: And for those who don't know, SparkFun, and this is my horrible crude uh, definition, they basically sell or resell components for like Arduino projects, Raspberry Pis, things like that.
2: Yeah, like the maker community and and huh. hobbyists and engineers.
0: So yeah, very cool. So Harris, Kenny, welcome to you too. So uh, I hear you like
1: 3D printers. It's true. I do. And it's a good time to have a 3D printer. Lots of people are using 3D printers for lots of cool things. It's interesting to see that... I heard people who were in the 3D printing community for a long time say that 3D printing is a solution in search of a problem, and the people who were saying it earnestly, like, but that's not a good thing. <laughs> to, to, be a, to be a solution in search of a problem is a bad thing. So, <laughs> but I think it was true in many cases back then. But now I think the, the, the problem of or the value of distributed manufacturing is becoming more clear. And uh, the use case for prototyping has been around for a long time. But now the sort of the potential of distributed manufacturing, I feel like is finally here with, uh, with COVID and everything
0: absolutely yeah i think uh in fact yeah we've all seen 3d printing mass i've been printing straps for mass on my uh, i actually have an i'm a little dated but an old lols taz i think taz 5 or taz 4 whatever the the one from like 2016
1: was yeah i, I think that's probably a taz 5 does it have the self-leveling uh yes it does okay yeah. so you got a six so yeah that, that's a pretty good printer and you know those desktop printers are very capable and actually you'd be surprised uh those desktop machines, you know, twenty five hundred dollars, they're being used all over the place, including lots of very big Fortune five hundred companies are are using them for lots of lots of different things.
0: Yeah, this, this is incredibly cool. Um, I've actually heard stories about the Marines taking three D printers with them to print replacement parts for their equipment. Yep. So
1: yeah, really interesting things like uh, really obscure, but like door handles and things like that. You know, stuff that's like injection molded, but the conventional supply chains they just they're just not adaptive enough. So, yeah, the military definitely was leading, I think, in terms of seeing the potential for this technology to be deployed in in the field. And uh, these quick ventilator replacement parts and other things are like Mm -hmm. exactly what the DoD was identifying uh, this could be used for. They were way ahead, I think.
0: Yeah. So you guys are doing a podcast called The Hello Blink Show now. Can Can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So I'll start a bit here and let Harris take over for some of the project. And that came out of this project that Harris and I did. And it was the idea of we noticed that there was a kind of this void in the market for a business podcast for technical people. And that's, you know, that's our tagline, essentially. And when I've given talks or have submitted talks to conferences, trying to go over some of this marketing stuff, because in addition to the engineering, I kind of got involved in doing this, this marketing side. Like, how do you market a product? You know, it's not an easy thing to do. I would submit these things to these technical conferences and they wouldn't want to hear it, right? These are people who are like, oh, I want to hear this new cool tech. But, you know, after you're sitting in the hallway, I chat with some of these people and they're like, oh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to market this thing. How do I find an audience? And I'm like, there are people here who want to hear this, but the people who decide what talks they want to hear don't want to hear it or they don't think it's applicable. That was kind of the idea behind the podcast, but I'll let Harris talk about like how both of us met or re-met rather, and then decided on why podcasts is a good format.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I had, you know, my career started in management consulting and I was in a variety of different sales and uh, sort of go-to-market type roles. I started working for Lulzbot in 2014 and I uh, worked there for about five years. I had the chance to meet with Sean when he was at SparkFun uh, when I was at Lulzbot and uh, worked for System76 uh, for a little bit. And... When I went out on my own, you know, Open Hardware Month in October uh, 2019, uh, you know, Sean and I had this idea of basically, you know, doing a talk about Going to market, you know, if you want to start an open source company, and we did like a webinar type of thing. It turned out it was pretty good, but a lot of people couldn't make the exact time. And I'm a long time podcast listener. I mean, Mike, I listened to you on Coda Radio for a long time, listened to the Mike Dominic show, and listened to a bunch of different JB shows. And the podcast just seemed like a good format for longer form conversations to kind of get into these topics in depth. And so we've had guests. We've got. You know, Mike, you've been on. You're going to be on our show, which is awesome. We just wrapped up recording that. We've got technical people who have basically decided to take the leap and to start their own business. In their own words, we've also got like attorneys. We've got an interview with a a banker coming up, talking about the business banking side of things. You know, the goal is to try to have practical conversations. And so we we think the audience is probably going to be small for the show, but we'd want it to be really helpful for people. Because Sean and I, each running our own businesses, we've love that. And we want to help other people basically do the same thing.
2: I have also noticed that there seems to be a trend towards more people leaving large businesses and forming their own or one, you know, there's a the startup mentality and not just around venture capital backed startups, but a lot of people making that leap to, you know what, I can do this on my own. And I think with the internet and other things that allow people to do this far more easily, just I can create my own business. And there's all these resources for me to do that. It's not suddenly this pie-in-the-sky dream anymore and I can provide a niche service and still add value to what people need. So I think we're going to see more and more technical people create their own businesses to provide this and not be tethered to a large company anymore.
0: Okay. So the basic pitch is, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you know what? I'm often wrong. You should see my code. It's awful. (laughs) So the basic pitch for your audience is there are technical people such as myself. So really they went down the same path I went down, right? You're a developer or an engineer of some kind. And you decide, uh, maybe I don't want to work for this guy. Maybe I want to go do my own thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I went down that same path. I think, you know, right out of school, there is a good opportunity to work in a larger company. I think, you know, sure. you have lots of benefits. I'm not, I don't want to poo-poo large companies and what they do. And do. it being a good, <laughs> I mean, that's fair, right? I think kidding, Harris said it. <laughs> I think Harris said it. our podcast is not safe for work, only that it will encourage people to leave their jobs, Right.
1: Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think there's more examples every day of people that they decide they want to go out and do their own thing. And uh, so, yeah, if you're that technical person, whether, you know, it depends on if you're positively motivated, like maybe you like the idea of being able to, deliver something that you have, you know, you have a really specific idea that you want to bring into the world, or maybe it's like a pain avoidance or a negative motivation where you're just like, I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. I'm sick of being told what to do by one boss. I would rather have five bosses and call them customers. (laughs) Then you can do that.
0: (laughs) What can I say? That's how I live my life. I got no disagreements here. So just rewinding though, so you both are running separate businesses right now. Is that a correct assumption?
2: Yes. I've got more something along the lines of I create Technical content for companies to put on their site as a form of marketing. My primary is video, but I also do blog posts and others. And I do some. I've got a you know a tech contract right now where I'm actually writing code for somebody. So I, I kind of do both. I would say it kind of falls in that consulting kind of area, um, but it's mostly. Sure content creator for me.
0: So I have to ask, what kind of code are we talking about? C, C++, and Python
2: are kind of my go-to right now. I do mostly C, C++, because I do a lot of firmware. Um, nice. For like, you know, STM32, AVR, those kind of things. Um, I'll do, you know what, I still love Arduino. It's a great way to get a prototype up and running to show somebody, even if the code can be sketchy sometimes. You know, like, oh, I'm pulling these libraries, I don't know where it came from, but like, hey, it works, right? The client likes you that You should it works see Rails, so can- but just leave that alone. <laughs> 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 Not touch that hot, that hot mess. But then I've also gotten into Python recently because I'm learning a lot of machine learning stuff and almost yes. all of it is done in Python. Whatever framework, it's Python. And I'm slowly learning like, oh, I can train a model and then I can have that model and convert it to C code essentially and then run a model inside of a microcontroller. And that's a new thing that I'm playing with and it's freaking cool right now.
0: Right, you could use like the Python C compiler. We're, we're doing some of that at the Madbotter too, right? And just compile it all the way down.
2: Yeah, or what I do is like the the model itself, like you have a TensorFlow model or a Keras model that you've created, and okay. you will compress it as small as you possibly can into a buffer array? Why well, can't I remember the name of this thing? But anyway, it allows it allows you to read chunks of memory at a time rather than load it all into RAM. And you take that, and then you run it through this thing that says, you know what, spit out a C array. And then you just save that as a .h file, right? It's just just bytes, True. right? <laughs> just in this giant array that could be like eight kilobytes of just numbers, and that's your model.
0: That's actually pretty epic. That's uh, yeah, it's one it's day when really cool. I have to. We have to talk about embedded hardware. Yeah, there's a long conversation. I've been on quite the journey with that. So, so Harris, what are you up to these days? Let's pretend like I don't already know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm, it's definitely not coding. I'm not a coder. Although I guess there's now it's called no code. I have all these no code tools. <laughs> but uh, I, I do the go to market side for sales and marketing. I've got basically anything from like an advisory where we're checking in like once a month. Uh, I've got a uh, working with the company Binho Electronics, B-I-N-H-O. They make a pretty cool uh, device for like flashing firmware and ber- working with different embedded devices and things like that. And they've got a great team. That's, you know, they've been basically moonlighting and they were able to, we did an interview with them on the show. Jonathan Giorgino is uh, the founder there and really, really cool. You know, I mean, he was, he's was able to set up the Shopify store and we basically worked together on getting like his channels set up and thinking about some of the inbound stuff in terms of generating new leads and putting out content to uh, to develop relationships and interests with customers, so that's like kind of at a high level. Down to the most hands on types of projects I'll do is where I'll be kind of like a contract uh, head of business development, head of sales, working within the business, talking to customers on behalf of a client, and really just doing the the sales work that isn't a lot of fun but needs to be done to start scaling a business and get beyond like one or two employees or, or at least starting to get to more predictable repeatable uh, revenue now you know ultimately if you're thinking about starting your own thing you're gonna have to be involved in the sales you can't just hire someone to do all of it but you can definitely sure. hire people to help with aspects of it and uh, and that's that's what I do I, I realized my life is basically dedicated to finding money to pay engineers to do engineering work and I'm trying to find uh trying to find meaning in that and not make it sound like all I do is just pay engineers to mess around on and watch memes all day or read memes all day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it sounds interesting though. So your clients tend to be in small companies founded by technical people who maybe don't have that business development experience. Is that of. A- is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's fair. Or or they've got some and they just don't have time to do it. Or they want to add some new way of going to market. You know, Maybe they want to add something that they haven't done before and they they just want like a fresh perspective on it. Um, so even if they've done a good job closing deals and maybe got up to like half a million dollars in annual revenue, but they're just not at a place where it makes sense to hire a really expensive full-time person. And sure. then on the other end of the spectrum, like a, an entry-level person doesn't quite have the experience to be able to help implement because they haven't done it before so they're kind of in this middle middle ground that seems to be where i can help add a lot of value
0: that makes sense and i think this is a question for both of you because a, a common so i'm going to be doing a uh, listener mail episode recording it next week probably comes out in like three weeks but maybe we can kind of do a little time warp into the future here one of the most common questions i have gotten is it follows this basic pattern hey mike i may insert Type of engineer here, like, let's just say C sharp developer or something, going out on my own, or you know because of COVID, my company is downsized and I'm now like a contractor, thinking of building a, a business out of this. What do I need to know in terms of marketing and sales? So I'll put it to you guys for business development. What does a technical person who lets, for the sake of, I guess kindness, assume like knows what they're doing in terms of you know delivering their service or their product, but maybe is like me, doesn't know their ass from third base when it comes to actually, you know, building a funnel, what would be like the first steps? Go ahead.
2: I'll take the first one on this. The biggest question I always ask people is know your audience, right? Who is your audience? And I don't mean it just as like, who are your customers, but who are the people who are going to give a crap about what you're making and what you have to say? If you can't identify that, to me, it doesn't matter what kind of marketing and what kind of sales you have, you know, you get all the spam mail. And as we've talked about, you, know, you can market and do all the spam on LinkedIn, but if nobody's clicking through, who cares, right? You got to get in front of the right people.
1: Absolutely. And I think you know, the marketing side, I think it kind of tends to be like the tip of the spear that knowing the audience and putting a message out. So maybe you're writing like blog posts or you're posting things to you know, Hacker News or a website like hackster.io, you know, and you're getting the word out. And I think marketing and, and your product are going to lead. And, but once you get people to reach out to you and they say, they raise their hand and say, Hey, okay, yeah, I'm curious. Then you need to think about how exactly are you going to monetize it? Is it going to be a product that you're going to set up in an online store? Are you going to have, you know, like something, any fulfillment requirements, or could you use like a gum road for some sort of digital fulfillment? Uh, You know, like the episode you had with Zeno, uh, Mike, where he was talking about how he's used uh, some really interesting platforms. I think that episode is like a must listen. If folks haven't heard of this, of Mike Dominic's show, listen to the interview with Zeno. And then ultimately, I think the, the, the main sales question is what problems are you going to be solving for people? You know, what are you doing that's going to make their life easier? I think People have a distaste for sales and they think the idea of like answering customer questions can be kind of annoying and it can take a time away from engineering. But you're going to have to kind of pinch your nose and, and recognize that if you're not interested in understanding your customers problems and how you're helping them solve it, you're probably not going to enjoy running your own business mm-hmm. because it's going to be a while before you can really just get back into engineering and not have to worry about sales. Right. And I think
0: that's just the reality of being independent at all. Right. You have to yeah. have some sort of empathy for the customer. Exactly. So,
1: and, now, and you get uh, it, you get the premium for that because the reality is like at your current business, someone else is worrying about sales and they get paid to worry about it. If right. you are willing to worry about it, then you get more money. <laughs> so like if you're willing to accept more money to worry about that, then you can get it. Otherwise, in your current business, they're paying other people to do it. So there is like a very clear monetary carrot to doing it that even if it's not like fun.
0: You know, one of the other questions that came in was, you know, this uh, person who wrote in is starting his own business, you know, hits him and like one other guy. What kind of, he said programs, I think he means tooling, right? Because I, one of the things that seems to be a common uh, fear, I think, among technical people who are starting to go on their own is, oh my God, do I have to sign some crazy contract with Salesforce or HubSpot and like, you know, pay thousands of dollars a quarter to... (laughs) to like have a landing page right is there kind of a basic set of tools you would recommend for folks starting out like that or either of you would recommend
2: so i'll i'll start with some of the marketing stuff and i'm sure harris can talk about the sales side of that. But you know, I would say get a website, right? That's that's pretty cheap to buy your domain and a little bit of hosting service. And don't expect a lot of traffic right away because you're going to slowly have to grow that and make that your landing spot. Now, if you need to add some type of e-commerce to that, expect to pay, I think it's like 20 extra bucks a month for that, right? Your, your domain is 10 bucks a year and hosting services, I think, are like 10-ish bucks a month. can't remember when I last you know, looked at that, but I think it's about 10 bucks a month for hosting. Yeah, so add add an extra 20 if you're going to add e-commerce because you want people to buy things from your site. So I think that's a bare minimum just to have those, right? I think without a website, you just don't look legitimate any longer, right? You have to have that. From there, there's a lot of free things you can do. So if you want to build out your website, I personally use WordPress for a lot of my blogging and inbound kind of stuff, but I'm not selling anything. And I think that some kind of social media presence is almost required now. I wouldn't go nuts and go all of them. I would figure out where your audience is and go there. Mike, I think for your audience in mind, you know, Twitter seems to be a good a good thing. Focus sure. on yeah. one of those. Right, focus on one of those. You know, people talk about, "Oh, you need to have live and a YouTube and you have to have all these other." I'm like, "No, you don't have time for all of those. Find one or two, stick to those, have a website, and then for setting up, you know, if you know a lot of people look at email funnel or email as part of their funnel. Um, if you want to have like a, a mail list, um, you can do MailChimp, you can do a lot of things on MailChimp for free for sending out email. So I think that's those are kind of your basic web presence things to kind of make yourself look legitimate. And that's not counting, hey, you need to set up an LLC, register for an EIN with the IRS, and you know, register your LLC within your local state or country, wherever you are. Like what does it take to right. legally set up a business entity?
1: Yep. And I'll just tie on to where Sean left off. So once you are generating sales, that's when there's additional concerns that might come up. So when you set up your entity, I personally recommend working with an attorney and getting you know, your proper setup. If you're going to have a business partner, having all those details ironed out ahead of time, because as soon as you start making money, if you're bringing money in, it's going to get a lot more tricky to work those things out later. So you want to work that out upfront, assume you'll be moderately successful. On I mean, the accounting side, there's like zero. there's QuickBooks, there's other things. I know some people just do spreadsheets and things like that. I personally recommend looking at a proper accounting platform. You're going to want to think about a phone. If you're doing sales, if you're talking to customers, you know, think you, you could do like Google Voice, which is less expensive, or Ring Central, which is more expensive. You know, ideally, you're not giving out your personal phone number when you're having conversations with customers. And then for sales meeting, if you're doing the type of sale that might involve sales meetings and video conferencing, if you do like G Suite for your email, then that'll include Google Meet for your video chats. And then finally, CRM HubSpot has a free option. There's a number of different CRMs, but basically you want a CRM customer relationship management software to track your deals. Uh, I use one. I run a one man shop. I use a CRM with contacts. I recommend people do it to keep track so that you don't uh, you don't lose deals. Because the reality is your first deals are going to probably come from people you know or someone who knows someone you know. And the only thing you need to do to make sure that those deals close is to keep a note, keep tasks, follow up, and you will probably be able to get those. Oh, and then payment processing. You could do PayPal. QuickBooks has payment processing. You could do Square. Bill.com is another option. Typically, bigger companies use that. So you might need to get paid in the way that they want to pay you. Um, but know that when you close a sale, you need to figure out a way to get the money into your bank account.
0: <laughs> it seems like that would be fundamental, right? Yeah. Like really an important part of running a business. <laughs> so you mentioned CRMs. I'm possibly selling my audience short here, but can you just define a little bit what a CRM actually is?
1: Yeah, customer relationship management software. It really has a, a couple of very fundamental purposes. You use it to keep track of your contacts, but the way it would differ from like your just basic contact book software would be that it's going to have lots more fields related to like a deal that you could potentially close with a customer. It's also going to have tasks that you can use to track what like next steps are, and it's going to have stages of a pipeline. So, how far along that deal is, and you want to have an idea an understanding of your pipeline because that's your future income that's your business's ability to to close deals in the future and have money in the future so if you have a light pipeline without a lot of conversations happening and you're not doing anything about it then in anywhere from 2 weeks to a couple of months you're probably going to have cash flow problems
0: very true so okay it sounds like you don't need to go crazy and like pick up a sales force or anything like that
1: no i don't think so I think you just want to keep track of things. And I think, Sean, correct me. I mean, do you think you need to do like a three-month kind of like big marketing automation implementation?
2: No, and everything I've done and read, um, you know, this is like personal experience and things I've listened to or or read, is that when you start talking about marketing automation, there's a lot of upfront cost. It's kind of like building a product, right? You have R and D upfront. And these are sunk costs that you spend connecting things to things to say, oh, if this person clicks on this on your website, you know, trigger an email to them because they're probably interested in X, Y, Z. You know, there's, there's a lot of this marketing automation that people talk about. And that stuff is only useful if you understand your audience, who you're trying to sell to and what they're doing. So until you can get to the point of fully understanding what they're doing, you're wasting a lot of time setting up automation. In fact, if you start setting up automation, and you find you're better at setting up automation rather than selling your product, you may want to consider being an automation specialist because there's other larger companies who probably need it. I wouldn't waste your time. I would I would focus on just doing personal relationship things up front and logging it all in some type of CRM, right? And your CRM could be a spreadsheet initially. You don't need to, you know. i I talked to like four people who were prospects. You know, log them in a notebook, log them in a spreadsheet. Just say, you know what here's who I think these people are, here's what their interests are, and I just need to make sure I follow up with them. You know, I think somebody can keep that in mind with four people initially, if you're talking about trying to land clients. It's not until they start getting out of control that you start thinking, oh, you've know, we've got lots of people in these pipelines, I need to consider a CRM, and I need to consider uh, some type of marketing automation because we see people You know, you start identifying problem areas, you know, if you have 10 people visit your site a month, you can't draw any trends, you're not at the point where you can say, Oh, these people go to this page, then they go to this page, and then they drop off, you can not even see that if two people drop off, that's such a small sample size, you have no clue. So I would wait until you grow a much larger audience before even considering market automation or marketing that automation.
0: Makes, yeah, that, and that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, in my own experience, just like the phone call with HubSpot is expensive for their marketing products, right? I'm joking a little there, but... So, <laughs> all right. So I got basically four questions on this, two of which I think are the same, so we won't count them. This is the last one, and I am going to preface it a little. I understand where the person who sent this to me on Twitter is coming from, but I kind of think it's the worst question because well, I'll, I'll let you guys answer first and I'll give you my answer. Literally, hey, Mike, how do you get your first consulting client? This person is a uh, uh, kind of young, budding web developer.
2: We had a whole episode on this. So Harris, you want to take this?
0: We'll link it yeah. in the show notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, check out the show notes. Check out Hello Blink Show. You should listen. So I think the the first thing that you want to do is you need to think about the amount of money that you're going to need to pay your bills, whether you're employed full-time or not. So if you have a full-time job and you want to take on a client, your ability to do a good job for them is going to be very constrained if you have a full-time job. Like you're not going to be able to do more than 20 hours a week, probably realistically not going to be able to do more than 10 hours of good work on the side in addition to a full-time job. So know that you have a hard ceiling as long as you have a full-time job first. Second... um, if you want to make the transition to quitting your current job, you need to think about upfront, I think you need to think about what are my base costs that I how much money do I have to make so that I keep my house or keep my car or whatever. And ideally you're not living in your car. Ideally you have some sort of roof over your head. In time you want to move to value-based pricing and I think in time you want to get more sophisticated, but in the beginning think about your Ooh, your hard costs.
0: value-based pricing
1: ideally yes oh oh, well we're gonna that's like a whole other thing yeah yeah so yeah so think about your hard costs and then uh, it's probably going to be someone you know it's probably gonna be someone you have some type of relationship with and think about how to basically articulate what you do as a service if it's like web development fortunately people are very used to paying for that as a service so you can learn from other people about how they price it how they position themselves and know that you might be offering a little bit of a discount if you're just getting started that's okay if it's worth it just to get that first client in the door.
2: So I'll jump in here and say that, like the idea of how do you get that first client? Harrison, you touched on this too at the very end is, it's going to be somebody you know. And I'm a pretty hardcore introvert. So, you know, sitting inside by myself for five days is not a big deal for me. But that means that you're probably going to need to learn some social skills if you don't already have them. And, you know, I hate the term networking just because it feels super, you know, corporate and cheesy, but you have to learn to go out there and network with people in whatever capacity that means. So I think with consulting, somebody's going to bring in a consultant that they know and trust and like as a person, generally speaking. you know, That's going to be your best bet over, I have these super credentials, because if you're just starting out, you can't say that I worked with these clients yet. So you have to go on, hey, I develop a relationship with somebody. For me, I call that paving my runway, to the point of being able to quit my day job, and that was I would go to events, whether on my own as part of the, as part of a company deal, and I would just start talking to other people in companies there, and you start seeing these people over and over again in companies, and over time they're like, "Hey, you do good work with Spark Fun. Are you interested in doing this thing on the side?" And assuming whatever company you're working for allows you to moonlight, that's an opportunity to start paving your runway, even if you have that like you know. Ten hour a week or 10 hour months that ha- limit that Harris was talking about, you start to build up relationships and eventually you can pull the trigger because you've paved that long runway to launch and go out on your own.
0: I like it. Yeah. I mean, so I'm just thinking back to when I started out. Definitely. I, yeah. It's, it's got to be your personal network, right? One of my first clients was a guy who owned a hobby shop near where I was currently enrolled in college at the time because he heard about this thing called the iPhone. And they had just released the SDK. So I do not have the whole quit a big company job experience that, uh, that I think you guys had. I just went right for it into Dang. independent contracting. Yeah. And he paid me half in Magic the Gathering cards. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: is but, baller. That is amazing.
0: But, tell you what, though. That was, I had written my own iPhone apps. Um, you know, I was really, I was near day one on the store. But that was someone, and yeah, of course, saying, because now, you know, do military contracting and like enterprise contracting. It's a little different, obviously, but starting small, like, you know, the tweeter, is that how you say it? Person who wrote on Twitter, you have to understand that you're not going to walk into an enterprise cold with very little to no experience and get that deal. But your local small businesses, obviously right now with everything being somewhat closed, it's a tough time but they do need stuff if they are very budget constrained which means that they will be willing to give you know someone young and starting out who will do it for the right price a shot which is you know i had a let's see the first couple were the hobby store who paid me in magic the gathering i was very good that season uh, in terms of magic the gathering then i think what do we have a lawn mowing service i gave them an iphone i wrote them an iphone app Like very low level, not impressive, not something you necessarily want to advertise, you know, over a decade later, although I just did, but Hmm. that's kind of where you have to start, right? If If you're, you know, a young person with no experience, I was a college kid just walking in, I you know, that's, you can build up from there. Because yes. the guy who owns the uh, hobby shop, his cousin worked at a medium-sized enterprise, and then they needed a, a website and an iPhone app. And you just keep moving and moving and moving up. It's going to take
1: a long time. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and and that's your, my, you know, yeah. your work, your quality of work is what will open doors. I think most of these small independent shops they're going to rely on referrals, introductions, and things like that. So you know, you just put in a little extra time, put in a little extra effort and work. And you may also not be the best web developer in the world, but if you know more about web development than the person who, or, or iPhone apps or whatever, than the person who runs a mowing company or the web development shop, then you might be able to help them. You have to believe that you can help them though. And I think that that's yep. like the first step, you know, is, is having that confidence and having the technical ability to do what you're saying you can do. Otherwise you're just going to really bother someone. And Chances are you know them, and so you're probably going to bother a friend or a family member. You shouldn't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's good to identify the person by identifying their need first, right? In my hobby shop owner case, it was because I literally played Magic the Gathering, the guy's hobby shop, and he had such a hard time scheduling the, uh, the brackets for the tournaments. Yeah. If you don't know what Magic the Gathering is, do me a favor and don't Google it. It's pretty nerdy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry for your wallet if you get into it. Yeah. Even the online one's pretty bad. So Harris value-based pricing. Are
1: you insane? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Prove me wrong. Convince me I'm wrong. Well, no. So value-based pricing is, is, it's very hard. It depends on what you're in. So there are some fields that are very, um, so the idea is how do you determine your prices? If you're doing services, you can do a flat rate or like an hourly rate based on sort of like, okay, I charge $75 an hour for this or 125 or whatever. And then billable hours, The idea, the short of value based pricing, is trying to uh, think about the the problem that you're solving for a business and then what is the value associated with solving that problem for them. Um, So it's easy to set up an example, and then the fact that that example is not not really how the real world works. But, you know, if let's just say you're the company that's selling in the US only and you have the ability to help them enter the Canadian market, they do a million dollars a year in revenue in the US, and if they enter Canada, they could do another $100,000 in sales a a year. So the value of the project is $100,000. You want a price based on that rather than how many hours it takes you to complete the project or uh, an hourly rate for your time. The idea is to try to uh, focus on value and outcomes rather than inputs. Uh, There's a guy named Alan Weiss who's done a ton of work on this. Um, But I will say value-based pricing is hard. It's not something I don't think it's easy to do right away. Um, It's something I'm still working on better understanding, but you want to try to over time separate the amount of effort you put in to how much you're getting paid. Because I think the goal when you start your own thing is that you want to like be in control of your life. It's not just to own a business, you know, it's to be able to take trips if you want to take trips or work on things you want to work on and, and not be a slave to your business because working for yourself can also be a lot of work and you want to try to make it so that it's not like that. Otherwise you're sort of out of the frying pan and but into the fire.
0: Right. So it sounds like though a prerequisite to actually doing that well would be intimately knowing the business of your potential client, right?
1: Yeah. And sometimes they won't have the answers. And so it's hard to do value pricing because they don't even understand really well enough. And they may be very capable business owners or executives. They just may not know the numbers, you know, especially if you're working with smaller companies or you're working in an emerging technology or a new area. Sometimes it can be really hard to get that right. And they just may not know. So you can't say, oh, I think this is worth a million dollars. So you should pay me 800,000. And, you know, you're talking to like a Pizza Pizzeria, um who does like five hundred thousand dollars a year in business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So
0: all right, so that's pretty good. So is there something I should have asked each of you that I didn't know enough to ask? And the rest is silence. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to think
2: about this one. You know, the the Paralysis by analysis here. Like, like of all the possible things about me, what did you ask? Me? Well, okay. Um, Blood type, Social Security <laughs> number. I, I can it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm a, I'm a, I need a mortgage. Let's do this. My mother's <laughs> maiden name. Right. Yeah. How much do you need? Um, uh, I, I think it's funny because I, I once sold a car, and most of the money came from a box of Legos. So I'm with you on doing work for uh, Magic the Gathering cards. Um, there you go.
1: <laughs>
2: I can relate on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I, the one. Question would be like, you know, do you have to enjoy sales to do sales? And I think the answer is no. Um, You don't have to enjoy it. You don't have to think of yourself as a salesperson, but you do have to change what you think of what sales is. And I think if you're thinking of sales as creating value and solving problems for people, then sales is a very rewarding activity. If you think of sales as like trying to pull a fast one on someone and sort of trick them into buying things or pressure them into buying things, you're not going to like it and you're not going to be very good at it and you're not going to be very good at running your business. So you have to uh, make sure you have a good perspective on what it means to be successful, I think, at that type of work because it it has a bad reputation.
0: Got it. So Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is not the model you want to look towards.
1: Personally, it's not my thing. I've worked for people who love it and send the gifts over and over again and (laughs) pound the drum on that. And I, I get it, but that's not how I think about it. (laughs)
0: makes sense to me. So Sean, you got your break from Harris.
1: (laughs) No. And the the marketing side, I thought about a
2: couple of things here for uh, the marketing side, And you know, it's, it's one thing is I'm having a hard time. Like Harris says, like the real world doesn't work in such a clean, neat way that you can prove that you added certain value that you can charge for value-based things. So I've looked at, you know, I've read most of that Alan Weiss book and It makes perfect sense, right? If I help you grow your business by $100,000, like I should get a cut of that because without me, you wouldn't have done that, right? It makes perfect sense. So when it comes to marketing, like if I create a video on YouTube for DigiKey, how do I know that those people did or did not buy DigiKey parts? Tracking that proves to be very difficult when you start talking multiple platforms. So if you land on like DigiKey's site, it's more easy for them to set up things where they can track you through like, oh, I watched this thing and then I came back later and bought a product or, you know, millions of dollars of product, you could track that. But if you're going out to social media platforms, it's really hard to track that somebody looked at a post or video that I created and went through that. So I struggle with that too. I'm trying to find other ways for passive income for myself by relying on some marketing skills. So like one thing is setting up online classes, right? That's that's something for me that I'm looking at, but I'm with Harris and like trying to, you know, as you start to hit that like, like intermediate level, like consulting or you're working on your own, you start looking for you know, not just, let's say you don't have a product, right? You you, you provide a service. You want to get ultimately out of time or money for time. That's the goal is you want to generate right. more passive income or value base? because then it's like, oh, I'm now attached to this business. So when they sell, I make bank, whatever that might be. So you want to get out of that. So, you know, money for time is a good place to start. The other thing I would say to that, to whoever that tweeter is that what we're officially
0: calling them now (laughs) only because i failed to write down his name (laughs) so sorry about (laughs) that. that is
2: fair or i call them your uh tweeples your your people you tweet with anyway so (laughs) that's terrible that's really bad oh yeah i'm I'm getting there so i would say uh don't do stuff for free if you're going to do something for free it's it's got to have some other benefit but just work for free is not the way to create any sort of value for anybody um so if somebody's like oh can you just do this one quick thing for me Really measure your time, figure out what that's worth. You know, if it's going to really help a relationship and if it's going to cut and it takes you like 30 minutes to an hour, you know, I don't mind jumping on the phone with people here and there to discuss stuff. But as soon as they're like, write code, write a script, write a blog post for me, I'm like, there's going to be money involved in that exchange because it's not going on my blog page, right? Or- Absolutely. Yeah. So don't do stuff for free unless it's absolutely necessary, which is different when you start talking about you need to market yourself. And that's, you know, going to conferences, making friends, writing your own blog posts and whatever. That can be a little different. So uh, that would be my, my big message is really, really, really try not to do anything for free. You know, somewhere deep down, I am a capitalist. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm not going to get philosophical here. I think, it, you know, we live in a capitalist society and we have to play by those rules. So make sure you're getting paid for your work.
0: Yeah, and uh, don't do any dev for for quote unquote exposure. That's a, no, yeah, no, no, absolutely not. It,
2: yeah. Unless it's your own thing and you're creating like an open source GitHub repo, that's good exposure.
0: Right, that's the only do- kind of dev. Yeah, that exposure <laughs> makes sense for open source. Yes. that's that's, yeah.
2: <laughs> that's my big message. Don't do it for free. All
0: right, well, this has been great, guys. So I have another stump.er This is the last question I always ask. Really hard one what does your work tool chain look like now that includes your main hardware, right? Your main, you know, desktop, laptop, whatever, OS, and you know, one or two apps or editors that are essential for you.
1: Oh dear. Harris, you want to go first on this? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've got a very simple setup. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got uh, two laptops. I've got a MacBook pro and then I've got a uh, system 76 lemur. Um, Nice. yep. Mac pro, uh, MacBook runs, you know, uh, Mac OS, and then the Lemur runs Pop OS. Um, and so I, I use those two, uh, bounce back and forth. Uh, I mean, honestly, I am a, a mail power user. So when I'm on Linux, I'm running Th- Thunderbird. When I'm on Mac, I just actually use the mail app. But I have like seven different mailboxes. And so I know that's very lame, but I am an email power user. I am an email all the time, constantly. And so I, I actually love email. And so that's my thing. <laughs> okay. I've never heard someone say they love email. That's... <laughs> yeah. That's novel. You got it. If I have any credibility left by the end of this interview, I have blown it out out of the water. (laughs) Oh, oh God, here we go.
2: (laughs) You think you've blown your credibility? I am going to make so many enemies of the open source community because I run a Dell Alienware running Windows.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Are you at least running the Windows subsystem for Linux?
2: (laughs) No, no. Basic Windows 1064 all the way. Um, Oh, man. I dual boot, so when I need Linux, I can dual boot into Linux. Uh, but which like, Linux? Uh, what do I have? I ran Mint for a while, and I think I oh, went Mint back to good. yeah. I think I went back to Ubuntu because they finally got rid of that horrible Unity interface, which I couldn't stand. So I think I uh. finally went yeah. And so the problem I ran into is that you know Linux is fractured. There's lots of different distributions, and it's great that you can customize for whatever. And I'm finding that like I'm running some of these. These demonstrations are tool change. So it's like, if I want to run, try to remember what I did recently. And for whatever reason, it only worked in Ubuntu. Like, what? Um, I think it was some machine learning thing. I was trying to run like some NVIDIA thing. And they were like, guess That's what? It only, Yep, it only works yep. for Ubuntu. And I'm just like, come on, guys, come on. So I was stuck between trying to install uh, the NVIDIA, what is it? Their NVIDIA neural network thing in. Windows, which is an awful process, or Linux, which is an awful process. So it's really a choose your poison. Mm-hmm. And I was able to set up a Docker image in... Yeah, that's what it was. I could set up a Docker image in Ubuntu and have it run the NVIDIA plugin. So that's honestly the main reason I run my Alienware is because it comes with a pretty beefy graphics card and I could be on an airplane training neural ner- neural networks. Um, I also play video games on the side, but having the graphics... Netflix- Card there for video editing and uh, doing machine learning stuff now is fantastic, right? I just like run a command and I'm using my graphics card and my computer is generating you know ten tons of heat because I'm trying to train this neural network. But yeah, right. I could set up a Docker image in Ubuntu or go through the pain of getting it in Windows, and it was awful either way. But it did eventually work.
0: So wait a minute, the solution you came up with. <laughs> Is You boot into Windows, but create an Ubuntu Docker image from Windows?
2: No, no. I tried that initially. I, it wasn't Ubuntu Docker. It was just a, like a Linux underlying Docker thing that I was attempting to hook into my hardware. And there's oh, like plugins. Yeah, there, there was a certain thing where like Windows was a complete no-go on getting the graphics card hooks from Docker to your graphics card from docker based on the tensorflow stuff i can't remember i physically couldn't do it with
0: Docker. i could see it because if it yeah because ubuntu and pop both have a special nvidia i forgot what the hell they call it but it's basically like an nvidia applet or whatever that figures out how to port all that stuff yeah but only for certain nvidia cards so yes and
2: and that's what it like it has to run a certain yeah i'm forgetting all my names i did this like three months ago and all the names are just out the window because i set it up and i'm like i'm good Right, I open up my Anaconda prompt. I'm like, start this environment, and whether I want GPU or CPU, and run Jupyter notebook, and that's how I'm doing machine learning stuff right now. For at least training models and tinkering around with, uh, features.
0: But so, you know, what are you actually doing on Ubuntu? You you, you lot, so you're doing <laughs> that from?
2: I know. Where did that's Ubuntu funny. come
0: in here? I guess this is where I'm getting lost. Well, I didn't want to like sell my credibility short
2: just because, like, yeah, I'm running oh, so you mentioned Windows. it as a hedge, basically. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, I Got do it. have it on my laptop. I've gotten TensorFlow running successfully with graphics card plugin to train yeah. stuff with a graphics card, both on Windows and Linux. Yeah. It's easier on Linux because they just give you a Docker image and you just run Docker and it's yeah. great. But you're, you know, you're limited to basically just Ubuntu, if I remember, unless they've changed that. Because so so check
0: out, check out Pop OS. They have okay. a... Uh, nvidia distribution of pop and they have a pre-configured tensorflow thing you can install with one command to <gasps> set up all your tensorflow stuff yeah okay so my my linux machine is is pop for that same reason okay um, i will look into that but i do most of my heavy stuff on the imac pro so i'll take right. some of the hate for you
2: <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> no no a lot of like most of the devs that i know are all on macbooks right because it's what is it open BSD or whatever and like yeah it's like free terminal BSD. and free BSD. sorry yeah
0: um, yeah, they, well, I mean, it's such a flame war. At least you didn't say Vista. <laughs> <laughs> no, Vista was awful. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would argue, and this is where I'm going to get heat. I think Catalina has adopted many of the features of Vista in a bad way. Mm. So, mm. That's For instance, good. we were on Audacity before, and I had to open it from the terminal because I couldn't get permission to use my mic. Oh. Which is, Yeah. I felt uh, so respectable. The Alien. How were you finding the Alienware?
2: Uh, good and bad. So when I came down to choosing a laptop, it was between this and the Razer. Um, because I know I wanted a gaming thing with a built-in graphics card, and they were Damn, the you
0: are a gamer, yeah,
2: yeah. I, like I still play games, and I was mostly console for a while, and I was like, you know, this is an opportunity to jump back into a few PC games. I'm not PC master race. I just play on whatever I want to play when it's available. I don't, I don't care. Um, sure. And it came down between the Alienware and the Razer. You know, Dell supposedly has better support. Razer is supposedly a better machine. At the time, it was the only one with the newer version of the i7 processor. So I went. that's why I went with the Alienware. And for the most part, it's been a good machine, but I've had a couple of like odd hardware issues. And when I say hardware, I don't mean electronics. I mean, like the touchpad button stopped working. I'm like, Ooh. yeah, I'm like, this is a $2,000 piece of equipment. Like I shouldn't have mechanical failures. What the hell? <laughs> So, do I recommend it? I didn't compare it next to the Razer. The Razer might have been better. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So, when you spend that much money and you have that kind of issue, it's just, especially because there's no, like, Dell store to go to and be like, hey, I need a new one.
2: Right. It's like you buy, like, a really expensive Mercedes-Benz and you're like, oh, yeah, but the wheels don't work. And you're like, that's a basic (laughs) thing. Come on.
0: No, come on. You have to be full keyboard input here. No, 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 trackpad. Get your wheel. (laughs) Well, when you're on an airplane, you know. Listen, I think if you're building machine learning models on the airplane, the poor lady next to you is trying to sign to the uh, attendant to get the cops or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's not nearly as bad as when I pull out like an Arduino or like a small dev board and it's things that like blinking lights and wires hanging out. I have no. not gotten the air marshal on me yet. Thankfully. Yeah.
0: yeah, I do. a Well, I used to do a lot of travel with that kind of equipment. And uh, let's just say putting that in your carry on leads to some fun conversations. <laughs>
2: i still haven't had it yet i the only time i've gotten them to look at my stuff through security is like i had like a bunch of batteries i was like taking robots with me and they were more concerned about the batteries understandably so like Lycos.
0: because of pre- right yeah well try Newark airport see how it goes
1: <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh boy well thank you guys for coming on and uh, where can folks find you Well, you can find the show. Our website is helloblinkshow.com. And uh, we are on Twitter at helloblinkshow. But also personally, I'm on Twitter at Harris Kenny, And then my business is kennyconsultinggroup.com.
2: And I'm at uh, seanhemail.com. That is my website. I'm also on Twitter. That's where I'm probably most active at Sean Uh, All one word, lowercase, no spaces or dashes.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thank you for coming on and uh, hope to hear from you guys again soon. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.